0: everyone, welcome back to Inside College Admissions, a podcast presented by SCORE. I'm Elena, and we have got a great episode for you today. So I'm back with college expert and former dean of admissions, Peter Van Buskirk. And in today's episode, we're talking about five keys to keeping your student debt at a minimum. We'll be debunking the myth that students have to accrue a mountain of debt in order to go to college. Plus, we'll be sharing tips for what you and your family can do now in order to avoid burdensome college loan debt and what kinds of questions you can ask financial aid offices to get financial aid other than loans, and to make sure that if you do take out loans, you graduate with an amount of debt that you can handle. By the end of the episode, you'll be sure to walk away with insider tips for what to say and do now to make sure that your student loan debt is at a minimum. Enjoy! Hi, Peter.
1: Hey, Elena. How's it going?
0: I'm great. How are you?
1: I'm doing pretty well. Back at it again, talking about college and making good decisions.
0: Back at it again. I'm very excited for this topic. I think that making it through college without accruing a mountain of debt is the goal. So I'm excited to dive into tips and the five keys for how to make that happen.
1: I agree. And I I, am distressed by what we see in, in the discussions in the world about how much debt there is that students are shouldering right now. And it's it's become a hot political issue that, uh, you know, there are trillions of dollars in student debt and that's unconscionable. And I agree, but I think that, that what we want to focus on here is how to help the current decision-making process students in that process, avoid becoming part of that statistic. Um, And uh, I think that there, there are some, some things that, that we need to address some myths that we need to address about debt right off the bat. One is that people assume that debt is inherently bad, mm-hmm. and obviously, if, if you can get through four years of college without having to borrow anything, that's pretty cool, right? But it's not, it's not likely that that will happen, and I think that we can rationalize reasonable debt. In other words, mm-hmm. debt is not going to kill you, uh, right? We can rationalize it because number one, it it's helping the student to have some buy-in, skin in the game, if you will, in the process, developing some sense of personal responsibility. And two, frankly, it helps to establish a credit rating for a student. So that coming out of college, uh, it's easier to borrow money if if you need to, for whatever reason. So I think that number one myth is that debt's bad. Uh, Bad debt is bad debt. Right. Debt in general is is not such a bad thing. But number two, the the myth is that burdensome debt is inevitable. That mm-hmm. oh we're we're applying to college and we're going to end up we're going to end up with you know a debt that we can't afford and we're going to be in in hock to lending institutions for the rest of our lives, unless you can pay your college debt back right away. Yeah, you're probably going to be paying on a, a student loan for a period of years after you graduate, but burdensome debt. By that I mean debt that that means that you're limited in the way you can live your life. Otherwise, burdensome debt's not inevitable, and mm-hmm. and that's what I think part of this conversation is. Let's see if we can can identify ways that students and their families can avoid being put in that situation where their their student their college debt, if you will, it becomes a limiting factor as they pursue the rest of their lives.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And a question that I have that I feel is valuable especially for students because sometimes you don't really know about student loans until you're about to take them out. Mm -hmm. What would you say is an amount of reasonable debt?
1: Well, over the course of... Four years of undergraduate education, or in some cases, five years, or some instances, it's six years, but but hopefully you get through college in four years. I, I mentioned six years because there's some institutions in some states where the curricula that you need to complete a degree program isn't available in four years. You, you need a fifth or sixth year. Mm-hmm. That's something to factor into decision making. Now, but but let's say over a period of four years, a reasonable debt is probably twenty five to thirty thousand dollars for the student, and and that's based on the assumption that that a student borrows the guaranteed student loan, which is typically thirty five hundred dollars in year one, but because of accelerators mm-hmm. in the student's eligibility for additional borrowing, that can be raised to eighty five hundred dollars in the last couple of years. So you know mm. if you Follow that sequence, the reasonable debt that many in the industry, if you will, references would be that $25,000 to $30,000 range. Right. Total. That's a a total. Right. That's an amount that should be serviceable as a loan for a student right out of college and, you know, with a first year salary out of college.
0: So, what kind of borrowing opportunities are students likely to encounter?
1: Well, when a student's been admitted, and the family's completed the necessary financial aid applications if there's demonstrated need. In other words, the family cannot afford to pay full for the institution. Typically, a, a part of the financial aid award will be the student's eligibility for a loan, a, a guaranteed student loan, we' we'll call it a Stafford loan. and and again, that amount would be thirty five hundred dollars in the first year. Uh, students who have high need, may be eligible for a Perkins loan as well, which would be additional to that added one. And the irony here is that the the, the students with high need probably have the, the lesser capacity to, to pay it off at the end of the day. But these loans, the Stafford and the Perkins, are federally subsidized loans. And the good news about that is, uh, you know, you, if, if you're receiving this in a subsidized fashion, you don't have to pay it back until some period of time after you've graduated from college, And the interest doesn't begin to accrue until that point in time. Students are not receiving need-based financial aids, can still get an unsubsidized loan from the federal government. The difference there is that the interest begins to accrue right away and and payments begin to take place right away as well. Some institutions will also offer private loans, institutional financing options, so so that the students will be given an opportunity to borrow through the institution itself, Right. From a bank that the institution is working with. So um that's where the, the, the loans are going to come into play.
0: And are students able to assume that loan amounts will remain the same over the four years, or those those are likely to change?
1: Well, exactly. And I think that's the assumption error and assumption that some families make is that they see in that initial financial aid award that there's a guaranteed student loan of $3,500 and they do the mental math, $14,000 over four years. And they'll say, oh, okay, that's not bad at all. Well, as I said, there will be accelerators in students' eligibility that can take it to a higher number. That's why I think it's important for the family to ask the financial aid officer, can you give us a close estimate of what the student's total debt will be at graduation. And they can do that. Yeah. They, they can do that because they know the accelerators that are going to be built into the student's borrowing capacity.
0: Okay. That's key. I feel like that really is key to get a, a good estimate of what this would be like. Mm-hmm. And Peter, you also said that one of the myths is that burdensome debt is inevitable. So what do you mean by that? Well,
1: we're we're informed by the media in in this regard and it, it's likely that in the next 6 to 8 months we're going to see stories in the media about students who graduated from college with exorbitant debts 100,000 $120,000, 150,000 yeah. $150, dollars debt and and it's all pointing to that huge that trillion dollar student debt thing it, it, so there's a conflation of stories here and, and So there's an assumption that, gosh, if, if we allow colleges to put loans into the financial aid award, we're going to end up with $100,000 in debt. No, no, it's, it's not inevitable. Right. It's possible that that could happen, uh, and there are some pitfalls along the way that could create that situation for a family, and that's what we're going to talk about next.
0: Okay. I mean, how can we help students with, with that kind of bad debt? What do we do?
1: I, I think there are five keys to managing debt for the undergraduate education. And, and you know, they all involve some degree of preparation and diligence on the part of the family. In other words, foreknowledge okay. about what's going on. If, if you kind of proceed rather naively into this process that that everything's going to work out, then you get what you get. So I think it's important yeah. for families to be aware of, of how process works and, and to be aware of the falls that are awaiting if they're not careful. So I think the very first key here is that families need to choose smartly between the institutions that are under consideration for enrollment right now. And what I mean by that is they, they need to remember that borrowing and debt are choices. They are not requirements. When you get a financial mm-hmm. aid award letter, for example, it's outlining all the different potential sources of funding to help you meet the college at the cost. You don't have to accept any of them. You don't have to accept yeah. a loan. You don't have to accept the job. You don't have to accept a scholarship. It'd be wise to accept the scholarship or the grant. But the point I want to make is that that borrowing is something that you choose to do. And, and that's why I think it's important for families with students who have multiple offers of admission, multiple financial aid opportunities right now to compare those financial aid opportunities as they exist. And we've talked in, in other conversations about how it's important to, to look at the family's financial exposure rather than the amount of quote unquote money we got. Right. Look at what's left in terms of the money that's expected to come from the family after the scholarship, after the grant has been factored in. You know, I, I had an opportunity to talk with a young man several years ago who was an exceptional student that had many offers of admission. He's a first generation to college kid, so there was a general lack of understanding the process. The family was becoming overwhelmed with all the letters of financial aid that were coming in from these schools and not knowing how to process them all. One of the letters was from a very, very well-known institution that was seemingly offering a quote-unquote full ride. In other words, when the family looked at the total cost of attendance, and looked at the total financial aid award; they were the same number, so they thought, "Wow, oh. this is this is wonderful." But yeah. we began to parse out the different aspects of the financial aid award, and we found that between the guaranteed student loan and an institutional financing option that was part of financial aid award, the student was going to have to borrow close to twenty three thousand dollars in year one to attend.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: Well, right. Uh, so the, the the kid was looking at that option. And of course, the family initially thought, this is great. We can, we can go to XYZ school, uh, full right kind of thing. Now their exposure was going to be, as a family, close to $25,000 for year one. And it was only going to get worse after that. And right. there were other schools that presented financial aid awards that were much more attractive to the student, much less exposure to the family. And this is what I think is really important for families right now to be sensitive to not what you get in terms of scholarship, but, you know, take a look at uh, the financial aid awards and try to minimize your exposure. and, And that loan situation, that in this case, it was an institutional financing option. It wasn't even a, a guaranteed student loan from the government. That was part of financially, but it was the institutional piece that was just going to be the backbreaker for the student. So it, it's really important to be smart about the way you're considering things. On the one hand, it might be tempting to say, well, this school is a great school. It's it's a highly reputable school. It's going to cost us more. So we're going to do what it takes to go. And you hear that an awful lot. We're going to, we'll do financially whatever it takes to go to that school. And that's where the family is kind of blindly entering into a borrowing scenario that's just going to get bad and worse each day. Yeah. So on the other hand, there are going to be places that are probably going to provide comparable educational experiences, maybe better even, where the the treatment of the student is going to be better. There's going to be less financial exposure, less loan exposure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Borrowing and the debt are choices, definitely not requirements. And I I think that that's an important thing for students to remember, especially right now, the colleges are playing smart and you're gonna play smart with your decision-making too in terms of making those choices. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, I think this leads into our next key. Is there any way that students and families can sort of level the playing field when they're looking at two different offers of admission that have different levels of borrowing?
1: Well, I, I think there is, and and this is a, a conversation that's going to take a couple different levels here. But even even at this point in the process, and we've got just several weeks left before kids have to make final decisions, it's okay for a, a family to say to college A, we love you, our student wants to attend your school. However, college B, which is one of your competitors, has offered a different kind of financial aid award as with with less yeah. with with less loan. More scholarship is there any way that you can level the play can you match what they've done and yeah. that's a legitimate kind of appeal similarly aside from comparing financial aid awards should the financial aid offer that the, the family has received not look right if it seems like there's a, a difference between what the family was led to believe would be their out-of-pocket expense and what the institution is projecting as the out-of-pocket expense mom and dad, you got to get on the phone. You need to talk to that financial aid office now, and you need to make yeah. you understand and are in agreement with their own sense. And you may find that there's information that they could still factor into their decision-making in an appeal that would work to benefit, but you need to do it sooner than later. One of the things that you don't want to run into here is you don't want to have that conversation later with the financial aid officer and the financial aid officer says yeah we with that information it shows that you would be eligible for more assistance however we've already extended all of our grant money so the best we can do is offer you a loan and this right. is this is when the loan thing starts to get out of control
0: yeah absolutely it sounds like Families need to be in touch with financial aid offices, just like they might explore different financing options for buying a car or something like that, making another big purchase. Are there other questions families might be asking financial aid officers?
1: Yeah, I, I think that there's an opportunity here when families are talking to the financial aid officers to get a sense of that total debt expectation over four years. Um, mm mm-hmm. We talked earlier about how when you look at that initial financial aid award, you see maybe a guaranteed student loan $3,500 and do the mental math. How do you know what the borrowing is going to be for four years? And, And frankly, your circumstances as a family may change so that you don't even need to borrow in in subsequent years but but assuming that your circumstances don't change in a in a substantial way the institution can give you a pretty good sense of of what that that borrowing picture will be so i think it's important to ask the financial aid officers for that information they they can tell you they they already have that calculus uh, at their fingertips
0: yeah that right there is an important key getting that estimate so that you can know what you're getting yourself into financially
1: Exactly. Eliminate surprises.
0: Yeah. We do not want surprises in this.
1: Well, and which is going to lead us to some of the things we're going to talk about next, uh, with regard to how the, the debt can grow. And one of the most easily overlooked factors is the in the explosion of borrowing for some students is the failure to understand the implications of renewal criterion. And then uh, I think that this renewal criterion piece is, is really important. Renewal criterion associated with scholarships. For example, scholarships are awarded to students in recognition of some performance criterion now the most most famous scholarships in the country are ncaa division one athletic scholarships you come play for us we're not going to send you a bill that's basically what they're saying you just don't you come you decide you don't want to play we're going to send your parents a bill yeah there are conditions placed on even that that athletic scholarship, but there, there are scholarships for music performance, for theater performance, for leadership, for commitment to to social outreach, lots of different kinds of scholarships. Make sure you read the fine print. Sometimes it's not so fine. The print says this scholarship is contingent, renewal of the scholarship is contingent on you receiving, a let's say a 3.5 GPA in year two. Or maintain mm. 3.5 through graduation, what family doesn't want to believe that their kid is going to have trouble making that 3.5? I mean, my son can do that, you know, not a problem at all. So we're going to take that. We're going to take that twenty thousand dollars scholarship, and so right. you're all with the assumption that that twenty thousand is going to be there for four years, which is, you know, that's great. And then the student comes home with a, a 2.8 GPA, right? For the first year, guess what happens? The institution can rightfully say, listen, you know, there was there was a GPA requirement here on the renewal. You didn't meet that requirement. So, you know, the scholarship's gone away. Now the fact is going to say, okay, well, okay, what are we going to do now? And the institution is going to say, that's really up to you. The best we can do is replace that with a loan. Oh. You see what's happening here? Yep. So we went from maybe a $3,500 loan in the first year to $3,500 guaranteed student loan second year plus whatever it takes to borrow to cover that absence of a scholarship.
0: Right, right.
1: And this is this is when things get really dicey for families. So you, you need to make sure that if your student is considering enrolling at a place with some scholarship, that you recognize the renewal criterion for that scholarship, because the institution has every right to withdraw the scholarship if that criterion is not met.
0: Yeah, so it, you know, the fourth key, it sounds like, is really making sure that your student is on top of any kind of renewal criteria for scholarships, and that goes with the FAFSA as well, making sure that they're filling that out every year because that's not just senior year of high school.
1: You got it. And this is the other one that often falls through the cracks. When when the student is applying for admission as a senior in high school, mom and dad are front and center with the FAFSA, maybe with the college scholarship service profile, they, they're hands-on with everything. The student is oblivious to it all. The student right. is 18, guess who's now financially responsible? The student becomes financial so in the middle of the freshman year or maybe january february the freshman year when the renewal forms come out for financial aid guess who they go to they go to the responsible person the student yep i don't know about students out there in the world but if they're anything like my three kids were (laughs) those uh, renewal forms tend to kind of fall to the bottom of the inbox yeah and the student. Is oblivious probably to the fact that there was a renewal deadline or submission deadline of let's say March first or March fifteenth. So mm-hmm. the end of the semester in the spring, kid comes home, and has gone through everything in the inbox. And oh, mom and dad, here's here's a document I got uh, with regard to renewing my financial aid. Oh, it was due March. I'm I'm sure I'm sure it'll be okay. Now we're in the middle of May, right? Uh, I'm sure it'll be okay. Yeah. If you can send it in now. Well, mom and dad fill out the forms. Middle of May. The institution says, yeah, there's definite need here, but we've already administered all of our financial aid. So that grant you might've gotten before, that scholarship you might've gotten before, we have somebody else. So- Dang. Want to come back for the next year? Best we can do is help you with some loan. Oh, they go right back to that every time. You you got it. You, You see what's happening here? These are things that hit students and parents' blindside. And mm-hmm. take them from what might begin as a very reasonable borrowing scenario at an institution to something that becomes burdensome, real fast. Yeah. And and these are yep. things that can be avoided.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like that's the the final key. Knowing that these renewal criteria and these emails that remind you that you need to renew will fall into the hands of the student after a certain point. And. You know, I feel like it's easy to hear someone say, oh, I have $100,000 in student loan debt. And you could think to yourself, how does that happen? But clearly it looks like colleges can try to make loans seem like the only option. And then if students don't stay on top of the renewal criteria or know that they're supposed to stay on top of renewals for scholarships and non-loan aid, loans might become the only option that's presented by a college.
1: Exactly. I mean, colleges. Colleges are dealing with the here and now when when they're administering financial assistance. And if you're not in the pool of candidates to receive financial assistance when they're making those distributions and you come in late, money's gone, you know, the resources are gone. You get what you get. So if you want to avoid being in, you know, great debt at at graduation, choose well as you make your initial enrollment commitment and then be attentive to deadlines, understand the renewal criteria and uh, things will be okay
0: yeah i mean it sounds like a lot of problems arise from not being on top of these things and that's that's just like a lot of responsibility for students and families
1: well it's not natural because the financial aid process is a a foreign and intimidating process exactly And, and so for families to simply complete the application the first time uh, is is tough. I mean, it, it, you sometimes need to get an accountant involved. You, it, it's just not something that that is completed in a comfortable fashion, in a confident fashion. So I think what we're trying to say here is once you get through it the first time and, and you have that big exhale, like, okay, we're done. We've, we're all set now. You need to be ready to complete the application process again every year in a, a timely fashion. And if you miss deadlines, it's going to be very expensive.
0: Yeah. It makes me think of of AP classes for students. You know, you build up over the course of sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, your math, for example, and then you take the next level of math to prepare you for AP classes. But for financial aid, what is preparing you for that? It, this is the first time you're ever seeing these forms, ever hearing of these numbers, these deadlines, all this stuff, It's like, where are you supposed to get the information for this? There was nothing. There was no predecessor.
1: Absolutely, and 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 that unfortunately, colleges kind of deliver the news without really educating families about what they're about to receive. And I think that that's that's where we can help to educate families and, and put them in a better position to make good choices.
0: Yeah. Oh boy. Well, I think that these keys are are really helpful. Any final thoughts on how to get through college without a ton of debt?
1: Well, I, I, again, at the risk of being redundant here, just a reminder that borrowing's a choice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a bad choice if you manage it well. You manage it with information, and you're, you're diligent about your preparation. You know, if you've done your homework and applied to colleges, that and this is important that value you for what you have to offer. They're going to limit the amount of debt as well as they can that you are going to encounter anyhow. So. If you're, if you're thoughtful about the way you approach the process, you should be able to keep your four-year educational debt at a reasonable level.
0: Cheers to keeping your four-year educational debt at a reasonable level. It can happen.
1: It can <laughs> happen. Good luck.
0: It can happen. It can happen. Thank you so much, Peter, for this advice. And students, we we hope that this is helpful in in just getting you prepared for the next step. And we know that you can do this.
1: Absolutely. Good luck, everybody.
0: And if you're a senior looking for advice about making the final choice of college, be sure to listen to our episode out now, The Final Choice for College Tips for Getting It Right. See you next time.